The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If if Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Just like that. Oh, this is not going to be pretty. No! I can tell you that straight up. Well, maybe for a second with that smirk that came, he's going to oh, take oh, a little oh, mercy. No. Colin Delaney, apparently that not the case. There's almost nothing not taped up on this young man. Oh, good God. Oh, no! Oh, you almost see all the wind rushing out of what's left of Colin Delaney's sternum. After weeks of being destroyed like Wiley Coyote. Well, I think you might get a crystal clear look of this Colin Delaney sternum right now. Oh, man. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is your host, JP John Paz. And on today's feature episode, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire, we bring in a former WWE and ECW superstar. He is the ultimate underdog, Colin Delaney. And he finally able to get him on the show for an awesome interview as we take a great trip down memory lane talking about those ECW days where he was losing and losing big time to some of the 
biggest physically stars in WWE history. And we'll also talk about great other topics like his fandom and kind of what he's up to today as far as having a podcast called DreamWork with Cheech, who's another great independent wrestler, and they are a former six-time AIW tag team champion. So that podcast, DreamWork, is all about tag team wrestling and kind of really talking about the inner workings of the tag team and the chemistry and putting the team together and how those guys mesh and work together. And in this interview, we'll break down a little bit of, of what he's doing with that. And we'll talk about the Hardy Boys. We'll talk a little bit, maybe the Rockers, the Hart Foundation, Steiner Brothers. You know, we'll go into some other teams. But really, really, this interview is focusing on Colin Delaney and what he's doing today in his great career as far as the independent world and independent scene. Kind of breaking it down, really, in this COVID era and, you know, trying to stay busy and trying to do indie shows and Really, I mean, indie scene before COVID was really kind of hitting its stride and it was really getting quite popular. But, you know, obviously COVID hit and not really running shows anymore. So we'll talk about what he's been up to lately and the shows that he actually has been on. We'll, we'll get into that as well. We'll talk about his entire run, like I said, against Mark Henry, Big V, Kane, Great Khali, Miz and Morrison, Tommy Dreamer getting his first win, getting his you know real contract getting a real deal with WB. talk about vince mcmahon we'll talk about johnny ace we have an awesome story about the undertaker and how when he got his contract what was undertaker's reaction to him coming into the locker room i mean that's just possibly the best story and there's a ton of awesome stories on this interview so really really keeping a keen ear out for that one i think you're really gonna enjoy that we'll also talk about great Kali. JBL, Vladimir Kozlov, and so much more. I mean, this is just an awesome interview. We'll break down even wrestlers like Ricochet, Will Ospreay. We'll even go Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Jeff Jarrett, Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and we'll break all them down as well. It's a really, really fun interview. Uh, one of my favorites that we've done just because you're just able to break some things down, talk about some uh, personal things as well. So I just really, really had a blast on this interview. And now, you know, before I kind of send it on over to the interview, which is of good length and really, really good stuff. So I don't want to kind of talk forever here at the top, but just want to mention some other podcasts, a part of the TMPT Empire. Got Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, Shane Douglas's Triple Threat Podcast, Kevin Sullivan's Taskmaster Talk, Dutch Mantel's University of Dutch, Dr. Tom Pritchard's Taking You to School, Just Incredible's Pro Wrestling 101, and Trump Mania with Lobby Margolin. So those all a part of the TMPT Empire. Go to TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest from the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, going to send it on over to a, a great interview with the former WWE and ECW superstar, Mr. Colin Delaney.
joining us on the line right now is a former AIW Absolute Champion and a six-time Tag Team Champion. He is known as the Extremely Cute Wrestler. Of course, he's the former WWE and ECW Superstar, Mr. Colin Delaney. Colin, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thanks for having me, John. No problem. So what is going on in your world? What have you been up to lately? Oh, man. So uh, actually busy lately, which is, is weird considering uh, this year for independent wrestling, at least, has kind of been a wash. But I'm fresh off of The Collective this past weekend, which, for those who don't know, was a, a large independent wrestling gathering in Indianapolis. Uh, there was like 12 shows over the course of three days. Um, and actually working fairly regularly before that, um, here in the last couple of weeks. So yeah, busy. And what were you doing on the collective? So, uh, I worked for Southern underground pro. So sup graps on Friday at four and then, uh, wrestled for AIW Friday at eight. And then I wrestled for black label pro Sunday at noon. So uh, yeah, three shows, three days. Damn, busy weekend. Uh, that's kind of like old school, as you think about it, like old school wrestling, wrestling all those days and uh, times in a row. Yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Uh, it was what was supposed to happen WrestleMania weekend down in Tampa, and of course everything there got canceled. So uh, Indiana is pretty uh, open to having shows now. So they, they just had it there at uh, about a 25% capacity. It was a big uh, fairgrounds. So uh, everything was socially distanced and spaced. We had a, a super, super large locker room so everyone could kind of have their own place to change. And, uh, yeah, now I'm just at home uh, kind of self-quarantining for a couple weeks here. Is the – crowd like 25 percent like it sounds low but how was like the turnout was actually pretty good better than you expected yeah it was a big building so tw- even 25 percent is still like five six hundred people you know yeah true i guess you know especially with now you you, you don't even know if two people are going to show up with the covid and the pandemic and stuff so pretty good turnout all the way around for sure and i guess you said there was 12 shows going on wow. uh, i think it was 12 I've, off the top of my head i don't really know but usually there was like a noon and then there was an afternoon and then there was an evening show and then a midnight show so it's yeah it's like a between 10 and 12 shows on the weekend Wow, nice. Looks like today's indie wrestling is, uh, you know, alive and well. You're running that many shows and, you know, being successful. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's been pretty rough. I mean, once the pandemic started and quarantine and all that, uh, I live in the state of New York. So the state of New York probably won't have any kind of wrestling anytime soon. So uh, traveling out has uh, has been a thing. Indiana has been the most open state. So yeah, I did a couple shows for black label here during the, uh, pandemic times. Uh, AIW actually ran in Indianapolis once. Now we've done the collective shows. I did a show for beyond a couple weeks ago. So, uh, I mean, indie wrestling's trying, you know, uh, that's all they can do. Uh, just trying to get some shows together, some content out. A lot of shows have been outdoors, uh, but we're about to lose the ability to uh, mm-hmm. wrestle outdoors coming up pretty quick. So I uh, kind of got to get it in where we can get it in. Yeah, that is kind of like the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, you can do outdoor shows. Well, 
not when it starts getting close to late fall, early winter, then that's out the window as well, right. which kind of really, really stinks uh, for sure for a lot of the independent wrestlers. It's just like, man, like uh, COVID is horrible. And like you said, living in New York, forget about it. That's probably, I don't know, the way it's been handled, not to get political, but the way it's been handled by Cuomo and the Blasio, New York is in a lot of trouble. Yeah, New York, it's the toughest because, you know, uh, if I go to a state, I really, I mean, Indiana's far and I'd like to stick around, but usually I'm straight in and straight out. I go, I, I wrestle, I, I keep myself away and I, I get home. I always get a COVID test before I head out and I get a COVID test when I come home. Uh, I'm going to get a COVID test here in the next couple of days, make sure that everything's all good. I've always come back negative, but I was there for a couple of days. So now I have to kind of uh, self-quarantine myself here. As far as those COVID tests, is that required by all indie promotions? You have to have that before you come in and they let you work? Yeah, pretty much everywhere I've worked for uh, wants a negative result before they'll let you in the ring. So it's also nice knowing that even when I go to these shows that everybody, at least in the locker room, is tested. I mean, we're still not, uh, with the exception of whoever you wrestle, you're still not, you know, coming in too much contact. The... the wrestling handshake is kind of out the window. It's more of a fist bump or a, a wave from across the room. But, yeah, it's nice to know that everybody on these shows is also being safe, so you don't really have to worry. Is the wrestling handshake being gone a good thing to you or a bad thing? Because I know some of the boys, some of the wrestlers are like, oh, thank God that's gone. I don't know. I don't mind it. It doesn't bother me. Um I don't think anybody's really taken it that seriously uh, in the last bunch of years anyways. Um, It's not like, oh, crap, I forgot to shake Undertaker's hand. Uh, I'm going to have heat with the boys now. I mean, (laughs) it's not like that. And I don't think it's been that way for a very, very long time. So I think anybody who's like, oh, thank God we don't got to shake hands is kind of uh, being a little over-exaggerating, a little over-dramatic anyways. Now, as far as you and, you know, speaking of Undertaker, but I want to kind of ask and go back to WWE and getting into wrestling uh, for, uh, you know, the big leagues, if you will. How did you actually kind of get into WWE? How did, like, where, like, where did that start, basically, that, that journey? So, for me, WWE, my, my WWE story, I think, is uh, is pretty one of a kind. It's the only one really like it. I was not really on their radar in any kind of way. Uh, I started wrestling for them when I was freshly 21. Uh, I was 135, maybe 140 pounds. Independent wrestling around the Northeast, you know, working for places like Chikara and CZW occasionally, and a lot of the upstate New York promotions, but definitely not in any way on their radar. But they were in my town uh, filming SmackDown and ECW, And Brody Lee was there, um, just kind of, he was on the radar, but not yet employed. And he called me and asked what I was doing that day. Uh, I told him I was at my job. He said, uh, if you hustle down to the arena, you can probably wrestle on ECW tonight. So I boogied down to the arena. Uh, They gave me a match against Shelton Benjamin. And I think when they saw how small I was, they put in a little uh, talking part at the beginning almost to, to justify why I was even in the ring. 
uh, wrestled Shelton Benjamin. And from there, I got to the back after doing it. And, you know, I just, I was just doing the best I knew how to do, just making Shelton Benjamin look good and, and, and put up a fight. And I got to the back and everybody was very happy with my performance. Uh, Vince McMahon jumped up and shook my hand. And I, I honestly just thought everybody was, was super nice. But I got to the end of the tunnel, and, and Johnny Ace was waiting there, John Laurinaitis, and uh, he asked me what I was doing next week and uh, gave me flight information to, uh, I think it was North Carolina somewhere. And from there, it was uh, off and running. That is pretty unique because it's like one of those things where it's like, wait, you're not on the radar. How, you know, how do, how, do they, how do they know who you are? Like, so they basically just kind of, because Brody Lee was like, oh, you know, I know this guy. Or like, how come they were so accepting of you to bring you in to give you that match against Shelton Benjamin? So they, you know, WWE brings local talent to the arenas uh, to, you know, to fill spots. Sometimes they need guys to get beat up. Sometimes they need security for varying different jobs. Uh, kind of extra talent, uh, if you will. And that night, they needed somebody smaller to get beat up by Shelton Benjamin because I guess all of the extras they had in that locker room, and, and by the way, the extras that night were uh, Brody Lee, uh, who's, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, mm-hmm. Corey Graves, Corey, and Corey Graves is like 6'4", himself, uh, Michael Tarver, who went on to be uh, do some uh, – he was in Nexus and whatnot, who is once again, a bigger dude. So guys like that, everybody there was, was larger and they needed somebody a bit smaller to wrestle Shelton. So when Brody heard that, he said, I, I, I mean, I know a guy. Very cool. And it's interesting. Uh, just a side note on Tarver, he may have innovated wearing the mask and, and you know, now everyone has to wear it. He was kind of the first guy to do it. <laughs> that is true. The thing is that, you know, obviously you're smaller, you're wrestling, Benjamin. Do you think that that, and I'm trying to think if that has ever happened before, because you said it's a very unique story where a guy comes in, he, nobody knows who he is, he wrestles the match, he loses, uh, you know, on TV, uh, the owner of the company loves him, then, you know, obviously he's a, the, not really second in command, but one of the, the head agents, one of the lead guys, Johnny Ace, signs you to a deal and tells you to come back the next week. Has that ever happened before? I know you're kind of saying it definitely is a rarity, but I can't think of another guy that that happened with. So definitely no time. It's it's a very like old school way of things happening, I guess, uh, around there. Because since, I mean, since the late 90s, early 2000s, they've had developmental territories and they sign guys and they bring them in and they have them go down to a developmental, whether it be OVW or Deep South or FCW or NXT or what have you. But, I mean, back in the day, I suppose, guys used to, to come in and, and show up and, and do jobs, and if they were liked, they were brought back. But, not, I mean, no time in the last 25 years. Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, currently, probably old school before developmental, obviously, could happen. But I'm just thinking, like, the last 20 years, usually it's like, okay, they sign a guy, and he came from FCW, OVW, uh, NXT, wherever. Just That's usually kind of – the format that they've used for the last 20 years. So just interesting that, you know, you were able to do that. Was there any kind of, not heat, but was there any like, well, who the hell is this guy? You know, he, he's getting signed for me. Did you ever experience that when you're first on your way in? Yes. So I would hear about it a lot, but I, I didn't experience it because I didn't run into anybody who, you know, said those kind of things to me. But I, I still remember 
uh, I'm in an airport uh, just waiting for, I think, my connecting flight. And uh, I see a guy across the room, and it's Mike Knox. Mike Knox had been off on injury at the time, so we hadn't met each other yet. Uh, and he came over and introduced himself. And I was like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm Colin. He's like, man, everybody down south hates your guts right now. And I was like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, everybody down there has been busting their ass to get a spot, and you just wander onto TV. And, I mean, he was just messing with me. But seriously, from what I heard, people were not the happiest that 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 was a thing. Now, is he joking with you, or is he dead serious trying to rile you up? I think he's. Uh, I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, because uh, I, I I do know that people were not happy. I mean, and why would they be? That wasn't a thing anymore. You didn't just get a spot on TV. You went down, like all these guys signed their deal and got put down in developmental to earn their spot and eventually work their way to TV. And here's this kid, fresh off the street, who just got uh, you know kind of a starring role on ECW. So. I I can I can understand how people weren't happy about it. Now Mike Knox is you know obviously you know a lot bigger than you maybe he's teasing you a little bit. Do you think that there is like I don't know uh, some sort of code within the boys where they kind of shouldn't be you know, stirring it up, or you think that that's that's never going to change? That's just like the business that they're like you know they'll try to rib you, they try to mess with you. No one's going to try to like. Uh, you know, make it easy for you when you're working for WWE. So I, I didn't run into that very much. Everybody was super cool with me. You hear all these stories of guys, you know, getting ribbed or, or getting stiffed or uh, getting in trouble for not doing the thing that they're supposed to do, you know. And I, I, I honestly didn't experience much of that at all. Uh, I wrestled JBL one time on Raw. And it was a nerve wracking experience because you know, the man's reputation that, you know, he used to kind of take it to the younger guys, but he couldn't have been nicer and couldn't have been more great to work with, you know? Yeah. It's funny. Cause you hear stories about him, you know, whether it be blue meanie or Joey styles or a million other guys, supposedly, but then you always hear stories like, no, he's not that bad. He's just, uh, you know, he's kind of being old school in a sense where he's kind of like that, a big ass kick uh, kicker, um, you know. If if the person's tough enough, he'll like kind of be easy on him. But he really didn't bust your balls at all, huh? No, uh, at, at all. I mean, if if he was busting my balls, he was he was very slick about it uh, <laughs> hmm. because he we didn't talk all day. We had to wrestle uh, on Raw, and I literally didn't speak to him till I don't know, probably thirty seconds before we went through the curtain. So in that regard, he might have been ribbing me, just making me worry. But uh, other than that, he couldn't have been nicer uh, and more pleasant to work with. Now, are you working with a contract or without a contract when you first get in there? When I first got in there, I was working without one. Uh, I think, uh, as the story goes, Johnny Ace, John Laurinaitis, he's a big guy. And he did not, despite the fact that, I guess that first night, Vince McMahon was, telling him to sign me. Uh, but despite that fact, he just kind of thought I was a novelty and I would fizzle out. So he kind of dragged his feet on that and just brought me to TV another week. And then I did good another week. And then he said, all right, we'll bring you to TV the next week. 
and he did, and I did good, and they brought me to TV the next week. So eventually, I think I was about a month and a half into doing these TV shots and being featured on TV every week before he, uh, I was finally offered a deal. Were you surprised it took a while, or were you almost surprised that you got a deal? Like, which kind of way did it go for you? I, I, I mean, I was a 21-year-old kid. I was just living my dream, you know. Uh, it got, I mean, it was getting to a point where I did have a, a nine-to-five job that, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> eventually it was going to come to the point, and they were cool with it to a degree, but we're a month and a half deep of me not being able to work Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. You know, so there were some weeks where I'd fly in, uh, I'd get off the flight at noon or whatever, and I'd come and I'd work lunch till the rest of the day, Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday. But if I didn't get a deal eventually, uh, you know, I was just going to have to be like, <laughs> hey, guys, I can't keep doing this. I got to go back to the factory and, and, and make a living. So I guess it wasn't, uh, I didn't know either way. I, I just, uh, I was just rolling with the punches. As far as kind of as you're moving along, I guess really the next kind of thing is, is you're going to be wrestling like a lot of big guys, like Mark Henry and like Big V and stuff, Kane, Kali. Like, is that the thing, like the, the, the quote unquote, the, the novelty, like you kind of said, is that you're going to get your ass kicked by these big guys? Yeah. So every week it seemed like the, uh, the opponent got bigger from, from Shelton. It was just bigger from there. It was Mark Henry. And then it was big daddy V and then it was Kane. And then it was Kali. I got signed after the Kali one. So I think I'd run the gauntlet of uh, the biggest guys they could possibly throw at me. And they were like, well, I guess we got to sign him now. Kali didn't kill him. <laughs> it feels like it was almost like all big men, almost like exclusively, uh, for the most part, and eventually JBL, who's a monster too, and uh, eventually uh, Vladimir Kozlov too. But it's like, man, it's like they're throwing you in there with like these big monsters. Were you almost like this is uh, this is strange booking? Uh, I'm keep wrestling monsters the whole time. Not really. I, somebody, I think it was Big Daddy V, who was uh, a, re- a real early opponent of mine. Uh, I ran into him in airport afterwards, and he was giving me advice. And he was like, because, you know, you, he was like, you know, uh, uh, I, I beat you last night, but the story is you. I beat you to put you over. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is true. So then that I just kept that in mind, and I was like, oh, no matter what they want to do to me, I guess it's putting me over. It's, it's furthering my story. It's not, you know, it's not their story. It's mine. So I just got to keep doing it and doing it well and then I'll 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 still be here. Did they ever say to you like hey you're going to be like uh, you know the lovable loser you're going to be the guy that keeps jobbing but we're furthering the story that you know you're the ultimate underdog. Do they tell you that? Do they explain that to you? I don't think it was ever really explained to me. It just kind of got to a point where we were doing it for a month straight. And it just kind of was assumed. Once again, I wasn't under a contract for any of that early stuff. So they didn't really, they're, they're, they're pretty hush hush about things. You know, they don't want to, I'm still a, I guess a bit of an outsider. You know, I still changed in the extras locker room. I didn't, you know, they didn't really tell me much of anything. That kind of thing where you're, you're changing in the extras locker room, is that you're doing or they're doing? 
Um, I guess it could be a little of both, but I, I don't think it really was their doing. I mean, when you get brought in as an extra, you just go to the extras locker room. So I didn't have a contract with them. So I just would go to the extras locker room and, and nobody told me different. I remember one of the scariest nights of my entire tenure there was when I got my contract and I got to the building that day and I just put my stuff in the extras locker room, even though I had a deal. Because in my head, I don't know if anyone knows I have a deal. So, like, how do I go about going in the locker room? So I asked somebody, and they were like, well, I think you can just go in the locker room now. But if you really want to ask permission, ask Undertaker. And so I nervously paced around all day trying to get a moment where I saw him without anybody around him. And went up and I was like, uh, uh, excuse me, sir. And he's like, yeah. I was like, uh, hey, hey, I'm Colin. He's like, I know. I was like, I just, uh, I got my, my, my contract this week. He's like, oh, no way. Congratulations. Good for you. I was like, thank you. Uh, I was wondering if I could change in the locker room with you guys now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he like looked around like, uh, did anyone tell you you couldn't? I said, no, sir. He said, all right, then get in the locker room. And I was like, Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I like hustled away to get my bags, but it was like one of the scariest days of my whole life. And that, that sounds very silly now, but it was. That's so funny too. Cause he's probably like, wait, you said you have a contract and you're, and you're not going to get dressed in the locker room. Like what the hell? He probably thought you were a little crazy. Or was, or somebody sent me to rib him or something. He looked at me like, he looked around like who's ribbing me right now. Oh, true. Yeah. That could be it too. It's interesting, though, that he is the true locker room leader. You knew that kind of going in, right? I mean, he is the, the, the I don't know what you kind of say, the, the general of the locker room, I guess. Yeah, I mean, because he was SmackDown at the time, and SmackDown and ECW traveled together. Uh, and he'd never, you know, he was the coolest. He'd never let you see him be anything but the coolest. Um, but once again, like, we uh, to go back to a conversation earlier about handshakes, I mean, uh, Undertaker got to the building. It's one thing if you saw him and like walked by him purposely without shaking his hand, but I doubt he's even going to notice if he didn't shake his hand, you know, but you hear Mm -hmm. these stories, people are like, Oh, this guy didn't shake uh, Undertaker's hand one time and he's in a lot of trouble. And it's like, I don't know. I think that's like uh, a super, super old, old school thing nowadays. Yes, for sure. It's funny though. You still, I still see on Twitter and stuff people are like writing about it. I'm not going to get into names, but I see them like, "Oh, I'm not shaking hands anymore." Like, you know, somewhat joking, some of them serious. So it, it definitely seems like a very old school thing. I know Steve Carino used to joke around about it, like, "Hey, uh, I'm not shaking hands anymore." Like stuff like that. Like that's the, and, and you know, he's the king of old school, and he was kind of teasing about it. Well, Steve, I, I remember having a conversation with him, and, and he does make a good point about. Uh, cause some people are excessive about it. So, uh, I had spoken to him at a ring of honor shot where everyone is there together for three straight days. So it's like, are you really going to shake my hand when you get there? Shake my hand when you leave, then shake my hand when you get there the next day, then shake my hand when you leave, then shake my hand when you get there the next day and then shake my hand when you leave. That's a lot of unnecessary handshaking. Uh, he was just trying <laughs> to point out that like, sometimes it's a little unnecessary, uh, you don't need to, it doesn't need to be as like serious as some people make it. It's, it can be a little bit more casual. Like if you see someone, Hey, what's up, man? How are you? It's just more like a, a, 
a greeting thing. And then you don't really have to like make sure you shake everyone's hand before you leave the building. You shake hands with who you see on your way out the door more, more than that. Steve Carino was trying to institute the one handed crotch chop. Uh, if you're going to, if you've already seen them that weekend, or if you're going to see them tomorrow anyways, just give them a little one handed crotch chop as you pass. <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a good idea. That's a handshake. Like, what does it kind of uh, boil down to? And, and nowadays, I don't even know. Uh, nowadays, it's more of a greeting and like a, hey, what's up? On the indies, it's a lot of times like, I don't know, especially now, like you haven't seen these people in so long. You want to go say hi and, and whatever. A lot of times you just get to the building and you go around and you say, hey, to who's there? I don't know. I honestly don't know what the uh, the full reason is now, but uh, it used to come down to respect. I guess that's what it used to be about. But now it's just about, I, I think it's all just a I'm saying hey, which is, once again, it's not that serious. If somebody leaves the building and they did not say hi to me, I promise you I don't care unless they did it on <laughs> purpose. You know what I'm saying? Unless they went out mm-hmm. of their way yep. not to. Like, I don't care. And I probably won't even notice. So what is your thoughts on Undertaker? Just him as a person, obviously you had that great interaction with him, which is very funny and, and very kind of very respectful on your part too, to kind of like, Hey, can I go in the locker room? I have a contract now, but what were your kind of thoughts on, on him? Not only as like a person, but as a worker and everything else. I mean, it, it, undeniable. He, he had this, this unbelievable run uh, and sure, I mean, by the end, it was like running on fumes still out there. But the fact of the matter is that man remained like a, a gigantic, uh, you know, draw for for how many years? Uh, and you can't take that away from him. And when he was at his best, there was nobody better. There were times when he shouldn't have been that good. Like there were <laughs> he was already getting older and there was already younger guys looking to pass him. And I think he took it as a challenge. Like, nah, not yet. Nah, <laughs> I'm still here. And like I said earlier too, he, he never let you see him be anything but the coolest guy in the room. And, and that was just him. And uh, yeah, I mean, one of the greatest to ever do it. Right. Oh, no doubt. It's just funny. Like if you think about it, everyone always says like locker room leader, locker room leader, locker room leader. And there's kind of, I don't know if there hasn't been one since, since he has been not really there, but you don't hear locker room leader talk anymore. It's kind of like him for, I don't know, 20 years. And then, then there's no locker room leader anymore. That's what it seems like. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I feel like you hear about, it, it's so weird because guys are kind of off. Nobody had a run like taker and nobody will ever have a run like taker. Like guys go off for a while. Like guys leave to like film movies and stuff and come back or TV shows or, or are just off for months at a time, which uh taker really wasn't. There was always that presence there, but like, I don't know. You hear stories about guys like, like Bray Wyatt uh, being a bit of a locker room leader, uh, around, but once again, he's he will leave at times and he won't be around. So uh, maybe it's just a consistency thing that's missing now. Yeah, I guess sometimes you hear Roman Reigns, but obviously he was gone for six months, so um, kind of maybe not the locker room leader for that period of time. But his name would pop up once and now and again too as a leader. Yeah, for sure, and and you know. You always hear nothing but amazing things about the dude. As much as the internet tries to trash him down, like <laughs> it's it's wild that that he can still persevere through all of that in this internet age. 
And the funny thing is, out of all the guys on that roster, he looks like a star. Like, he's 6'4", he's probably 275, he's ripped, he's got good looks, he's got that long hair, uh, he's got the, the you know that Samoan heritage. So, I mean, he's a star. I don't know if they just don't want to admit it or, you know, but, I mean, he's, he's the star that they have, I feel like, uh, on their roster. Well, the the – the internet's been around for a long time, but the, the in the last five years, it's really taken over. Probably, probably last five ten, it's really taken over how things are viewed, um, and and he's really probably the start of it. Uh, they started WWE started kind of pushing him. Uh, I I don't want to say down people's throats, but kind of you know they wanted him to be the next guy, and they started moving him in that direction. And the internet saw what they were doing and said no. Never, we won't let this happen. And I don't know. They just took this staunch stand to it, and it's it's a little crazy because he he also works his ass off. He has unbelievable matches. So it's like <laughs> I don't know what you people aren't liking about him. You you don't like him because he's not uh, born out of the indies. Like I don't know. Uh, this guy's really killing it, and good for TV. Good for the brand. Good for the company. So, like, I don't know. You guys can fight it as long as you want, but eventually I think he's going to win. Yeah, 100%. Very well said. And it is funny. Like, they're just like, nope, we don't want him to be pushed. You know, WWE kept pushing him. And it's not like he was having stinkers. Really, the only time I've seen Braun Strowman have good matches was against him. He was lighting it up with AJ. Um, Jay Uso, that was the best singles match I've ever seen him have. I mean, just, man, I, I can go on forever with him, but it's just like, it's not like he crapped the bed. He was still really good, and the internet was trying to do it. So, I don't know. Sometimes a little bit of a toxic environment, for sure. That, that internet. Oh yeah, for sure. And it, I don't know. I think just like everything else, it goes in waves, and eventually it'll wave itself out a little bit, and we'll be back to a, a more neutral ground where we're not taking everything because it's. And this is like more of a like a a, a world issue right now. But, like, people always had bad thoughts and always had bad takes on things. But now, in this current age, we can go on the Internet and read them in a blink, <laughs> yep, you know? True, yep. So these thoughts and these bad ideas and these bad uh, whatever and people trying to tear down others has always existed. But now, with the Internet, you can just see them in five seconds, uh, see them instantly when people react to things. So, I don't know. Once again, in wrestling, everything goes in waves. And I think this age of, like, Twitter dominating uh, what everybody sees and thinks and does will go by the wayside just like everybody else, or at least fade off so we can have a little bit of normalcy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's funny. It's like the Internet. Oh, Roman Reigns isn't that good. It's like, okay, you guys are clueless. And then I saw somebody post the other day, like, Sting was not a good pro wrestler. And I was, like, laughing. I was like, do they even understand what wrestling is? Like, <laughs> but you can't but, – but, no, you can't get wound into that because, like, that's that's the thing. And now you're wound into it because you're like, oh, I can't believe – and you're mad about it. But that's not, like – so more people just need to read people's takes that they don't like and just go, oh, that's a bad take. Oh, I don't agree with that. <laughs> but then people like the the mob gets together and starts going for people's heads. And it's like, okay, hold on a second. Listen, I'm trying to think. I, there's got to be a wrestler I don't like that's been historically great. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But like before Roman Reigns, it was John Cena. And John yeah. Cena, yeah. Uh, pfft, like – 
whoa, like just like Roman Reigns, crazy good for the brand and good for TV and good for just a, a face of the company. Uh, he was good all around and would have bananas good matches with guys like Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, and he would want to have that. And he'd push himself hard and work his hardest and look great and have these incredible matches. And the internet was still like, oh, he does five moves. And it's like, ugh, come on. Yeah, it's true. He was the original kind of guy that they didn't want to be pushed, but half the crowd loved him, half the crowd hated him. Always would be a good match because, obviously, if half the crowd loves him, half the crowd hates him, they're all engaged. So it's going to be great. But obviously, I mean, he looks like a million bucks. He looks like a movie star. Obviously, he's getting into the movies now, but he's one of those guys, too. Vince loves those kind of guys. You know, he's got the look. He's got the appeal. He's got the charisma. Vince loves that. Yeah, and and why wouldn't he? I mean, right. and and he's a, he was a a nice dude. He did more like uh, make a wish meets than any human being on planet Earth. It's like, come on, uh, <laughs> I don't like uh, stop it. Stop acting like you don't like him. He's he's just a good person. Now you know, it's funny because we're you know talking about current wrestling and the, the toxic toxic nature of some of the fans sometimes i'll read and i'll have like a funny take like which is just so obvious like bret hart was great like yeah no shit i knew i knew that 30 years ago where have you guys been it's just funny like i don't know it's i feel like some of these fans i don't know if they're fake fans or they're just like looking for attention it, it is a weird weird world out there for any of these you know this uh, wrestling community especially on twitter and uh, facebook and instagram I'll give you so this is a th- so Bret Hart was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. At a point, he was my favorite wrestler when I was growing up. But nowadays, if I were to rank professional wrestlers on a scale of greatness, I'm not sure Bret Hart breaks my top ten. And the reason for that would be uh, his last act. His WCW stuff is bad. Uh, I think you could probably name five good matches he had in his entire WCW run. And then he was done, right? Mm -hmm. So then you look at his sample size and sure he had great matches, but then you look at guys like Shawn Michaels who had great matches for that same length of time, but then had a little off time and then had maybe even better matches after that. Right. Yep. And same with guys like Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, I mean, he, Hulkamania ran wild, and, and Hulk, while he may not have had the most technically skilled, incredible matches, man, his last run with WWE was incredible, and he was having some more incredible matches. So for a longer stretch of time, was having unbelievable matches. So when I look at Bret Hart, I go, ah, man, and I loved Bret Hart for so long, but his WCW stuff was like, <laughs> at times, very bad, and so I just don't think like when people are like, Oh, Bret Hart way better than Shawn Michaels. It's like, I don't, I can't get behind that argument. Shawn Michaels last act was incredible and arguably better than his first act. There's no doubt about it. I'm more of a Bret guy than a Michaels guy, but I know what you mean. Michaels was uh, absolutely great. There's a lot of, uh, you know, people that will have a staunch opinion. They either go Bret or HBK. You know what I mean? They're, they're the fans. It's not, they like both. It's one or the other, I feel like, with that big yeah, feud. And I can already – by the way, there's uh, – when I do interviews and stuff, I always think like, oh, man, if the uh, internet news sites could take a headline, uh, 
it's about to be Colin Delaney says wrestling fans are toxic. I'm just giving it to him right now. I'm literally <laughs> serving it up on a silver platter. I didn't say that. They can be, can be. Right. Not all of them. Not all of them. It, you know what, though, Brett and WCW, I'll, I'll give you this. I, lo- I didn't love his WCW run, but there were some great matches. The matches, the first match he had against Flair at uh, sold out. His um, Owen Hart tribute match against Benoit. He had a couple good ones against Booker T. He had a couple good ones against DDP. Um, had, had a couple pretty good ones against Sting. Not, nothing great, but good. Um, but, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, – I, I can't say I, I didn't like his WCW run, but it obviously wasn't nearly as good as his WWF run. I mean, his WWF run is epic. Well, nobody's is. If you look at any wrestler who went from WWF to WCW – and you try and stack up their greatest matches of all time. Like, look at Scott Hall. Scott Hall is a great example. Because you look at Scott Hall's greatest matches of all time. They're going to be uh, against Shawn Michaels, against Jeff Jarrett, against Bret Hart, uh, all WWF. And then you're like, uh, I guess he had a good one with DDP once. And uh, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Yep. And that's yeah, all he, of them. He did not have a, if you look at some of his WWE run, he had some issues. That is uh, for sure. I'm not going to get into the you know, severity of him, but he definitely had some issues that were preventing him from having some classics. But obviously, you know, you're older, and, and I don't know if you can kind of catch up to those latter matches. You know what I mean? Like, that might be too high of a bar you're setting for yourself. Right, but, like, you got to think, like, guys like Hall and Nash were in their prime when they went over there. But when you look at their best matches, you're still going to look at WWF because they still had all their best stuff over in WWF, really. I mean, at least their top five best are in WWF, and then you're, like, scrapping for the rest after that. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's interesting, you know, some of when you, you just look back at old-school wrestling. But to me, like, even us now, uh, it's like we always kind of go back to uh, the good old days, it seems like, right? That's like the, the, the golden era, you know, what we're talking about now of wrestling. Oh, oh yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean – everybody's got different eras of wrestling and every era of wrestling is great for its own reason. Even, even today's uh, like when you hear people not like certain things, it's like, uh, or, or try to compare it to way back when and, and say how far it's gotten away. Every, every sport has evolved. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I can't wait to listen to a basketball interview where, uh, an old school basketball player talks about before the three point line, everything was better. <laughs> you know, like uh, before they were slam dunking all the time, basketball was great. Like that's how these people sound to me. Like uh, everything evolved. You have to have an open mind. Uh, the, the idea that this one sport would not evolve at all is crazy, and it would be dead if it evolved zero. Like everything has to evolve. The, you know, the one thing I don't like about current wrestling, I mean, some wrestlers do it, but I feel like if you take some stuff from the old school and mix it in with the new school, I think that would be the most effective thing. And a lot of guys just won't. But I feel like we haven't seen some of that stuff in so long. People will think it's fresh and new, and it, it'll add to you know current wrestling a, little, a bit. Yeah, and just like we were talking earlier with everything, uh, it goes in waves. It goes in waves. What's popular right now, like uh, – is probably not going to be the exact way that people are doing it in even two, three years from now. And it might not be the popular way, but what's the popular way is what people are going to try and emulate and people are going to try and do. 
but that popular thing is going to going to shift and it's going to change and it's not always going to be the same like uh the, the the people were super some people were super against like the Will Osprey ricochet super fast back and forth unbelievable acrobatics uh but it's unbelievable and the way they do it is like nobody else and uh unbelievable but then you see other guys kind of try and emulate it and it, it's just not how they do it. And then it's like, well, it's what was, it's what worked for them and it's what they saw and it's what they liked. And they tried to, to also emulate, but that's the same way old school wrestling was where guys would see the old school wrestling and they would try and emulate what they saw and it would evolve into something different. So it's wrestling is an ever evolving business and it always will be. And it always should be right. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. And it's interesting too, because, Osprey and Ricochet are like the best at it, and those guys that aren't the best at it make it look bad. So then it makes wrestling look bad. Like, oh, these guys are imitating wrestling. So I, I do get annoyed at some of those guys. It's like, know your skill set, man. Those guys are the two craziest uh, athletes, and and just like can do crazy shit and, and make it look good. Like you guys have have to go a different path. Have to realize who you are. Yeah, but that's. I mean. As young wrestlers, everyone has got to find themselves and figure out what works. And I'm sure some guys who, who tried it back in the day uh, are currently on a different path and will look back at them trying to do that and be like, ugh, forehead, face, palm, can't believe I tried that. But uh, that's how we learn. That's how we evolve. If we can, uh, if we go back a little bit, because I, I want to talk a little bit more about your WWE run. Sure. Um, the tag team with Tommy Dreamer, you were really kind of a mini few with uh, the Miz and John Morrison, who oddly enough are in, you know, that's back in what, 2008 and 2020. They're still a tag team or, or a new tag team. Once again, what was the, right. what was kind of the theme, you know, the theme here, like you were going to have Dreamer be your tag partner. Is this going to be a long-term thing or is this a short-term thing? Cause Dreamer feuding with Miz and Morrison. Uh, so I don't really know. Uh, once I got done wrestling the biggest guys they could find, they, they put me in a handicap against Miz and Morrison, which kind of made sense, I guess, because they were kind of, uh, like bully types. They were like the, we're cooler than everybody. So they would clearly be the bully type who would try and bully me. And then dreamer came out for the save. So then, uh, we had the, uh, kind of the old cactus Mikey Whipwreck tag team, which was mm-hmm. yep just super cool for me because, uh, growing up, Tommy Dreamer was one of my favorite wrestlers, and Mikey Whipwreck was another one of my favorite wrestlers. So it was like, no way, I am on TV, teaming with Tommy Dreamer, as like his Mikey Whipwreck, and it was like mind blowing to me. It is definitely like the ultimate underdog. That's who I think of, Mikey Whipwreck, and uh, you know, say it ain't so, um, you know, that kind of character. Did they ever mention it? Like, hey, you know, we want you to be in the same vein as, as a Mikey Whipwreck or an, another one. Did they ever mention anything to you, like, about the role? Not really. I mean, no. We we just started doing it, and it just, you know, I think I just got what it was, and I just kind of rolled with it. I remember the first time I ever met Mick Foley. Uh, he was walking down the hall because he became SmackDown commentator when I was there for a bit. He walked down the hall, and I introduced myself. He goes, oh, yeah good to meet you Colin he's like uh sorry you couldn't have a better cactus because he saw Tommy walking right behind me (laughs) (laughs) nice love it who was booking ECW at that point 
I don't know who was booking it. I know uh, Dusty was a producer there uh, when we were doing that stuff because he would sit down and uh, kind of explain some of the, like the, the promo stuff and like, uh, you know, segment type of stuff that I had to do, which, cause that was a whole new world for me. You know, I was a 21 year old kid who had done indie shows. I wasn't really ready for produced television segments. So I remember one of the first ones we did, uh, with me and dreamer in the back, Dusty was there producing it. And, uh, after we did the first take, Dusty came in and was like giving me my lines, but delivering them in his voice. And I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. Like Dusty Rhodes is saying my lines right now. That's awesome. Very, Crazy. very cool. Yeah. That, and that's got to get you pumped up as a, you know, as a good fan an old school fan too. Oh yeah. No, I was like, Oh, I got to nail this now. I got to do it. You know, I got to, I got to channel that way. Exactly what he said to me. Like, and, and he had a way of saying things where you would be like, Oh, that makes way more sense than, than just me reading it off a piece of paper. So you and Dreamer beat Miz and Morrison, and then obviously you get to the tag title match. They beat you. So you get the Extreme Rules match. They beat you guys again, and you're kind of rolling along here. And eventually, you are going to wrestle Tommy Dreamer. What's you know what's going on here? So I I don't know. I I, I know so. When we did the match against each other, it was just like, oh, yeah, we'll just do this. It's it's kind of furthering Tommy's story of him trying to go for the title, you know? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really – once again, it's kind of – you got to kind of realize what it's about. And it was more about him at that point. So we did the match, and we, we did the thing, uh, and that all led to the pay-per-view match, which I honestly still didn't think at Great American Bash that, that a turn was anywhere in the cards for me, just because of, you know – how I had been positioned and how long I had been there and, and, and what sense that would have made. Uh, and I, I still to this day think that uh, them flipping me on Tommy dreamer was, was just to get a finish out on the pay-per-view and it, <laughs> they really didn't have any thought past that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It almost doesn't make sense. If, if you'd like really think about your trajectory and kind of where you were going. It's like a heel turn. Like what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I, I, I remember asking that that exact night when they told me I was doing it, I was like, okay, so I know this is thinking ahead, but like, but you have to, because that's pay-per-view on Sunday. And then two days later, we've got TV again. So you can't just be like, uh, well, let's talk about what we're doing next. I was asking right then. I said, well, okay, is it, is it time to get a new look? Should I cut my hair? Should I, should I get a uh, different gear? Should I, is it time to like change the look and like go for something different? And they're like, no, 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 just, just keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, oh, I don't think they have any clue what they're doing with me next. You know, they're just, they just want a, a shock value finish for pay-per-view. And that's what it was. And, uh, it happened, and then I wrestled Tommy the, <laughs> the following Tuesday uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, we're in ECW country, and he beat me pillar to post around that ring. He literally sa- he said to me, like, before we went out there, you know I have to do this, right? And I said, yep, all right. And then, whew, I felt that one. Yeah, you know what's interesting, because – 
you know, the Armando Alejandro El Strada, that feud, and you kind of get your first win. It's like, wow, he finally gets a win. You know, wow, this is great. He's a babyface. And all of a sudden, a little bit later, they're going to turn you heel on Dreamer. Like, I don't know. The It didn't make sense to me as a fan, even watching. It was like, that was kind of weird. Like, what was the whole thing with, you know, beating uh, Estrada? Yeah, very, very knee-jerk. They just wanted, you know, they just wanted a pay-per-view finish, I guess. But then when I wrestled Dreamer on TV that Tuesday, I remember talking to some of the agents and uh, like Ricky Steamboat told me, when they turned me heel, he thought that was it for me. He thought that was, I was done around here. And then I went out there and I had a match with Dreamer and he said that he thought that I could actually be a heel with the company. And I took that as one of the highest compliments because it's, it's Ricky Steamboat. Mm-hmm. One of the all-time best, absolutely. And then I kind of puttered around with what I was doing there, and then a couple more matches as a heel, and then uh, spring cleaning happens, and, and I'm on the chopping block, you know? Yeah, was that kind of a, just a completely unexpected thing? Did you, you know, obviously spring cleaning, they have the budget cuts. Did you kind of think maybe something was going to happen, or it's complete shock? Ah. Uh, I mean, it's so weird because I always, the whole time I was there, it was like, uh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling for WWE, the only thing I've ever wanted to do in my entire life. Like, this can't be real. So I always felt like it could be pulled from me in an instant. Um, but then when it did happen, I, I mean, I was crushed. Yeah, I, I didn't see it coming. Uh, they had just released a bunch of people the week before, but and and that was heartbreaking because at that point those are like, you know, people that you traveled with and and rode with and you know they lost their jobs and were being heartbroken for them and then the next week it's me I'm on the block and and it was it was it was pretty crushing. Did you think like you know maybe there's a chance you, you're going to work your way back in immediately or you're thinking like oh you know this is this is the end of. I run, you know, uh, I don't even care about getting back there. Um, I don't know. It's not, uh, I talked to a bunch of people immediately. I had a, a, you know, a bunch of phone calls from people and, and guys would tell me like, Hey, guys get fired and rehired all the time here. Uh, don't sweat it. You'll be back. And then it just, uh, it never really happened. It didn't seem like they had any interest. It didn't seem like there was anything there. So I just kind of, went about my my business and I went about wrestling because at the end of the day, wrestling is what I love to do. And uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, put my brain around what they're doing or what they're thinking too much. I couldn't put all my focus and energy there. I just wanted to wrestle. With, you know, that release and them letting you go, if you look back, it's like, man, there was a lot of, you know, quote unquote, smaller guys and talent there that you could have worked and they kind of had you working against all big guys, even dreamers, not, you know, not a small guy by any means. It's like, wow, they always really had you against big guy. When you like, look back, were you thinking like, man, I wish I could have wrestled some, you know, Funaki, Nunzio, like there's Chavo Guerrero who you did wrestle, but could have been like maybe a feud or something. Did you ever think like, man, I wish I wrestled some smaller guys. Yeah, (laughs) I, uh, for sure. Because guys like Brian Kendrick and Paul London were still there who are like two of my favorites. Uh, but yeah, I, I wrestled Chavo the once, but I, at the time, I kind of think the way they built me up, they built me up as being so small, but at the end of the day, I'm 5'10", 
So I, I was bigger than Chavo. I was bigger than, than Brian and Paul. I was bigger than Jamie Noble, you know, at least height-wise. Mm-hmm. So they pushed me as like this super crazy small underdog. Well, then if you put me side by side with some of these guys, I'm not going to look like an underdog, and it's going to be really hard for them to push me as that. So to that extent, I kind of understood I didn't even realize because, you know, you're wrestling those guys that are giants. So, I mean, 5'10", that's above uh, average height and obviously bigger than most of the cruiserweights. But that's interesting that they kind of went that direction. And then it's like, wait a second, if we say he's so small and he's going to be bigger than these other guys, kind of makes those guys look even smaller because we've been pushing this guy so small. Yeah, I mean, when you – my match with Chavo, if you watch it back, I'm, I'm taller than Chavo Guerrero. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's bigger than me. He's more built than me, sure, because I was a kid. I, I weighed 145 pounds, but at the end of the day, height-wise, I, I was taller than him. And I remember that was kind of a thing a couple of years ago with uh, when they started bringing the cruiserweights around and doing 205 Live. Uh, I remember hearing that, that it was very important that they didn't have Finn Balor around any of the cruiserweights because Finn Balor is the same size as the cruiserweights. Mm-hmm. And yep. th- then you have that question of, well, why are these guys considered cruiserweights and whatnot? And Finn Balor is a world title contender. So I guess it's it's kind of a similar situation. Totally agree. Now, as far as 205 Live, really right before that, you do make a return in 2017. How did this come about? You're going to be in a match with the, the Bludgeon Brothers. Yeah, so I hadn't uh, hadn't done anything with WWE in, in at that point uh, almost 10 years. My match with the Bludgeon Brothers was almost 10 years to the day of my Shelton Benjamin match. Um, so I was just kind of back there showing my face and doing extra stuff, and uh, they asked if I'd be willing to wrestle the Bludgeon Brothers, which, of course, I mean, me and Brody Lee Backyard wrestled together when we were younger, so, like, you know, I've known him my whole life. We're, uh, we're both Rochester guys. So I was excited to do it. And uh, after I did it, they were very excited with what I did. And they asked me how much I weighed. And I told them I was 185 pounds. And they said, great, we're going to call you. And from there, it, it kind of seemed like they were going to put me on 205 Live. And I was very excited about the opportunity. They uh, brought me back to TV the following week. And I had been told that I was going to do a segment before I wrestled Kenta, uh, Hideo Itami. And then Tuesday came, and I asked what was going on. And they said, oh, uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be a segment. It looks like you're just going to wrestle Itami. And I said, yeah, that's still, that's still cool. I'm cool with that. And then I did the match, and then that was it. Back out the door, I guess. They didn't uh, seemingly didn't have anything for me again which was uh, kind of a bummer. Definitely, yeah, I could see that. Didn't you wrestle Leo Rush as well? I did. So they, they, you know, nothing for me right then, but, hey, come back in a couple months when we're back in your area. And I did, and they put me on 205 with Leo Rush. And then, uh, you know, still nothing really going on, but next time in the area, come on out. And I did a, uh, a 205 Live thing. I was supposed to wrestle uh, Tazawa and then uh, Kendrick – and his crew, Jack Gallagher and them, jumped us and uh, threw me out of the ring. And that's the last 205 Live has heard of Colin Delaney. <laughs> Have you ever kind of reached out and said, hey, you know, uh, you want to bring me back? 
Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, nothing, I mean, there's nothing. Currently, the world is shut down, and I mean, there's not much to do. But after the last one, I was just kind of, they weren't around my area anytime coming up, so there really wasn't any uh, opportunity for me to be around. So I just kind of, you know, called it for what it is. Interesting. Do you want to go back? Like, is that one of those things where, you know, or you're happy where you are at currently? So, I mean, the goal in wrestling, I guess the goal in wrestling for everybody is different, but the goal in wrestling is to make a living off of wrestling. And, and basically the only real way to do that nowadays uh, with very few exceptions is to have a contract uh, on TV with somebody. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to, to have that. And uh, I always work towards that, but uh, currently in the, <laughs> the way of the world, it doesn't seem like uh, really anybody's eager to hire or, uh, you know, those opportunities aren't uh, as readily available or, or chances to, to show yourself are at least not that available. It is interesting, though. You show up on AEW Dark kind of before the world shut down back in January. So it's the best friends against you and Sean Spears in a tag match. What did you kind of, how did this all come about? Yeah, well, so I've been at this 18 years, so I know I know a lot of people, and I have friends just about everywhere, and they were coming to Cleveland, and I asked if they would be interested in me coming down, and they were. So I went down, and they told me that was the 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 match, and I, I thought it was really good, and I, I had a blast, and uh, kept in touch and kept in contact. They were actually going to be in Rochester the week that the world shut down. Um, so I was supposed to go down to that and then the world shuts down and then, uh, here we are. It is interesting that the amount of time, right. I, I remember this being a, not a crazy long match, but I mean, it's probably a 15, 20 minute match that they gave you on, uh, on YouTube on AEW dark. Sure. I, I've, I've known Sean Spears forever since even before I was in WWE, before he was in WWE. Uh, same with Chuck Taylor. Chuck Taylor's a guy who I've known forever and wrestled uh, up and down the roads with uh and trent trent lives in rochester right now i <laughs> i see him fairly often so they're all guys who i know really well so it was a, a chance to kind of to to show up and and see what i can do and everyone was pretty happy with it so i was happy with it and i was excited to see where it may lead and i was excited for them to be in my town coming up and then uh yeah everything kind of shuts down so I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't know. You can't get too bummed about that. That's the act of God type of deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't really beat yourself up about something you couldn't do because of uh, a global pandemic. Any kind of talk with Tony Khan or any relationship with Tony? So Tony Khan was, uh, the the atmosphere in the locker room situation at AEW was so crazy, totally different from, uh, WWE, uh, even the years prior, it's so much more relaxed and laid back. Like Tony Khan's just walking around back there doing business. And uh, I got introduced to him and he was so excited that I was there and that I was going to be on and talked about how uh, cool it was that me and Spears and Trent were all on WWE ECW at one point. 
<laughs> I was like, that is so funny that Tony Khan, this dude who runs this uh, gigantic wrestling promotion, was a fan of WWE ECW, you know? <laughs> True. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you know, he knows just as much, as much about it as you probably do. I mean, it's, it's interesting to the way that is. But, yeah, he's definitely a big fan. And it's, obviously, it's, crazy. it's crazy how much of a fan he was, too, just of, of wrestling in general. We were out uh, – I went out with everybody afterwards, and he was just talking about matches he watched and, and things he saw on, like, Worldwide and, like – WCW Worldwide and like old like Saturday night stuff he'd watch and like this YouTube account he follows and sees all these matches on it. It was like, man, this guy is generally like of an actual wrestling fan, you know? I know he was, uh, you know, well, he loves the, or used to love the dirt sheets. He uh, was on the Death Valley Driver Board. I remember, you know, 2003 or whatever it was. I remember yeah, I was, I was going to say, there. yeah. Someone told me he was on Death Valley Driver, and I was like, no way. I, you know, like checking the Death Valley Driver boards was like an everyday thing. He was probably reading those Dustin of the Day from uh, Phil Schneider. He's probably reading that. Going, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Dustin Rhodes had a good match against Barbarian. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Wild. Wild. So to think that that guy's, you know, it gives me hope and it gives me faith for uh, what they've got going on because – uh, the all the way at the top, there's this guy who generally and genuinely loves wrestling. Yeah. So, like, let's say the world comes back to normal. Any chance uh, of getting not signed, but any chance of uh, maybe some appearances at the uh, AEW? Or no, no idea. I have no. I, I mean, I have no idea. Who knows when the world's going to open back up again? Who knows what everything looks like? I mean, I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, I'm still I'm still at it. I'm still active. I still, you know, stay in shape and and stay ready for whatever might happen. You know. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, I don't know. They're saying you know 25 percent capacity and 50 percent. Hopefully, one of those days it ends up being a hundred percent capacity and we can get back to normal and indie shows can start thriving again. And you know, before the pandemic, indies were doing pretty good. Yeah. Oh. For sure, for sure. A lot of the indies I was wrestling for were uh, were having sellout crowds, and and it seemed like people were the indies were really starting to hit like a a, a really great time for them. And then pandemic hits, and and down goes everything. But I, I think they'll they'll bounce back and they'll recover. Well, the the good ones will. You know, maybe if this weeded out some of the some of the junky ones, I guess uh, uh, that'll be a. a unexpected good thing out of this, but uh, the good well-run promotions who, who want it and they want to put the best product out there uh, are going to keep doing it and keep at it. And, and when everything comes back, I have faith that they'll still be doing it at a high level. Now, as we hit the wind down and head towards the finish, got to ask this a bit of a generic question, but I always kind of love the answer because you never know really what you're going to get. So do you have some favorite matches or favorite opponents as you look through your career, not just in WB or not just your AEW match, but just in, in generally on the indie scene, AIW, wherever? Um, man, uh, whew, I don't know. It's been, <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people who I really enjoy wrestling and have enjoyed wrestling throughout my years. Um, uh, AR Fox, 
is one of my favorite opponents. Wrestling him is, is one of the simplest things you'll ever do just because he's so good that it, it makes wrestling seem easy. Um, uh, I res- I've only wrestled Eddie Edwards one time, one-on-one, and a couple tag matches, but I always tell people that I think Eddie Edwards is the best wrestler on the planet. Um, yeah, uh, I've had some, some good matches recently, with uh, with PME, the Philly Marino experience out of Cleveland, they're young kids, but uh, they're good and they're 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 you know young, so ones to look out for. Uh, I don't know. Once again, I <laughs> I've been doing this for so very long, so there is so many to name. As far as your time in WWE, it's always like one of those things. Like, did you enjoy your time there? Was it almost? Like, like we kind of said, it was a little bit of bittersweet. Like, what did you think about the time in WWE? I, I mean, I had a blast. I was a I was a 21 year old kid who was just living, you know, he was living his lifelong fantasy. I always wanted to be in WWE. That's all I ever wanted to do. So, yeah, I mean, despite the fact of how it may ended or 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 it may not have been the longest, you know, I'll 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 always cherish that. Do you have an ultimate dream match? like a guy you never wrestled. I mean, he could even be a retired guy, but was there always somebody like, man, I wish I got to wrestle him or maybe, maybe it's somebody you know, on the indie scene or, you know, Japan, I don't know, wherever, but do you have a, like a dream match at all? Man, I don't know. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a large gauge question. Um, currently I, I just, uh, I want to wrestle the best. I feel like the, the, the other side of the coin from my WWE run is that there are still humans out there as crazy as it may sound that all they know me for is getting beat up on WWE, which, (laughs) well, you know, it's crazy, but it's true. And uh, I'd like everybody in the world to eventually be able to see me as a a good professional wrestler. So uh, anybody, uh, you know, if they're, if they're doing it at a high level right now, I want to wrestle them and I want to show that I can also do it at a high level. Now, as far as you, and let's just say, you know, two years, five years down the road, where do you see yourself? Where do you see Callum Delaney in a few years? Oh, I don't know. Still doing this for sure. I mean, I'm not that old. Uh, I was in WWE at 21. So, uh, and that was a, a lifetime ago. Um, but still not that old, still younger than a, a lot of people out there doing it. So yeah, still at it. Hopefully, hopefully doing it on TV, hopefully proving people wrong, hopefully proving people that I'm not just the kid who got beat up on TV. As far as kind of what you're up to, do you have other kind of other, other things going on, other bookings coming up? I know you said, obviously the collective is a huge thing, but are, are other shows starting to come out? kind of in mass is AIW going to come back and start running shows more often so I think AIW is working on what they can do in Cleveland and hopefully we'll have one before the end of the year in Ohio but that's all depending on the rules and the 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 laws and whatnot uh, I've got Black Label Pro next month uh, I've been working for them out of uh, Crown Point Indiana um, for the last couple months and they put on great shows um so I've got that going on. Uh, me and Cheech, actually, my tag team partner, Cheech, in To Infinity and Beyond, we put out a podcast since quarantine started called Dreamwork, where we talk about uh, uh, tag teams 
and what made those tag teams great. We, uh, we pick a tag team and we go watch matches and we do research on the team. And then we come back together and talk about them and talk about what made them so great. So been doing that to kind of stay on the same page and, uh, you know, uh, stay active in the community during the quarantine pandemic, whatever you like to call it. So keeping active, keeping myself busy. That's great. What's the name of the podcast? Dreamwork. Because okay, teamwork awesome. makes the dream work. Nice. Makes sense. That's actually really yeah. like original and actually a great idea. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, cool. we, I, I love tag team wrestling. You know, even before, before WWE, I was in a tag team called the Olsen twins with my, my fake Jimmy brother, Olsen. Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> so then WWE, I teamed with Tommy. So then coming out of WWE, me and Cheech have been teaming. So I've always kind of loved tag team wrestling and it's always kind of been a passion of mine. So, yeah, we break down different tag teams. Uh, we just did a, a if in back to back weeks we did uh, the Young Bucks, then the Hardys, then the Rockers, then the Rock and Roll Express. So, kind of tried to break down week by week that archetype tag team. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite tag team? Whew, uh, I don't know of all time. Yeah, we were talking about this the other week because uh, it's so funny because another great thing about this podcast that we do is I get to go back and really take a look at these teams and go, holy crap, they were even better than I thought. Like the Hardy Boys, I was never a Hardy Boys fan. I I like Matt and Jeff individually. I I can appreciate them. But then watching them back, I'm like, oh, wait a second. They were way better than anyone gives them credit for or way more like they're, they're easily a top three tag team of all time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Rock and Roll Express I just talked about and the Midnight Express are like the, the – they, they built this, this thing that we know as modern tag team wrestling. So you got to uh, – I guess you got to start with them when you talk about, you know, favorite tag teams. Midnight Express, awesome. Rock and Roll Express, awesome. Hardy Boys, you're right. So underrated. I don't even know why. You go back and you watch, you're like, wow, people like Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys are way better. As, yes, far as, tag, it's, as far as tag teams, like, wow, they're way better than them. Yes, uh, like, uh, when you look at, like, if anybody makes the top tag teams of all time list, they always put the Dudleys and Edge and Christian above the Hardys, and I think that is criminal. But I didn't think it was criminal before I went back and watched and researched and then went, Hold on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Edge and Christian were a team for like three years. You're telling me that they should be above the Hardy Boys on a greatest teams of all time list? The Hardys, uh, the Hardys had matches last year that I would put up against any tag match in the last 20. And their chemistry is great. And I love when teams do tag team maneuvers. I love when they like, kind of like blindly know where the other guy is going to be. They're awesome, the Hardy Boys. Yeah, they're very underrated. And you go back and you look, I actually think they're better than the Dudleys, too, as far as tag teams. Not nothing against the Dudleys, but uh, I just, I don't know, I just thought the Hardys were the best team that WWE had. For I, think they're all, I think they're all top ten, but most people go Dudleys, Edge and Christian, then Hardys. And I think, I think you got to you almost flop it. I think the Hardy's, I think Hardy's jumped to the top of that list. And then you can give me an argument about the other two, but uh, yeah, it's an eye opening experience when you're, uh, when you're actually sitting down and, and studying them as opposed to just going off of what you know, or what you think, you know. Yep. And interesting little uh, tidbit, uh, Cheech, 
he won't remember this obviously at all, but um, he used to train with Tony DeVito and I'm uh, buddies, longtime buddies with Justin Credible. So Credible used to take me to the shows. You know, they were doing the carnage crew thing. They were getting booked a lot together as far as Loke, uh, Tony DeVito and uh, PJ. So they're kind of traveling together. And I was like, Oh, who, you know, who's this guy? I was like, Oh, this is Cheech. And this is massive. These are the two guys I'm training. No idea what happened to massive big dude. Scott Cardinal. Yeah. Scotty. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not sure what happened to him, but um, I know Cheech and obviously became a great wrestler. But it's funny. It's like I knew when he first started training, I was like, oh, let's, let's see how this guy turns out. And obviously, you know, he turned out uh, pretty good. I don't I don't know. I guess you you know Massive a little bit. Yeah, well, I was around all back then, too. So Bobby Fish was in that, uh, yes, that yes. training class, too. Jerk Jackson. The jerk. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, him, Cardinal and Cheech. It's funny because uh, at the collective this weekend after me and Cheech wrestled, I saw uh, a tweet go out. Someone said like, man, time is a bitch because you cannot tell me that that athletically built dude with a beard is Colin Delaney. And then their immediate follow-up tweet was, and his tag team partner is Cheech like special K Cheech. (laughs) Yep. I love that there's a human out there who sat in a bunker for 12 years and didn't watch indie wrestling and just rediscovered me and Cheech yeah, all at once, yeah. <laughs> all at once. That's got to be mind-blowing. Like, oh, my God, that's them now. That's great. Uh, we and, blew some guy's mind. Yep. And I remember being at the uh, ECW arena with those guys, um, smoking Joe Frazier back when he used to uh, you know, have his gym not too far from, from there. And yeah. he, just ran, he would just randomly show up. So I was like, holy shit. I was like, it's fucking – smoking joe and i must have said to cheat or something so he walks over with his hand out so i'm like holy shit smoking joe frazier so i go to shake it massive steps right in front of me shakes his hand right right after that smoking joe turns around and leaves the building i was like oh, are you kidding me so i'll never forget that he screwed me out of a handshake and yeah never stop blaming yeah. scott cardinal for yep. for that did he stop wrestling for because i haven't <laughs> seen his name in a long time Man, I feel like I just asked Cheech about him, uh, like, not that long ago. And Cheech told me what he was doing. Uh, I don't think he wrestled anymore. He did go down to, I think, OVW for a bit. Um, And I'm not sure that didn't necessarily work out the way he wanted. But, yeah, yeah, I remember remember all those guys, the, the Jerk Jacksons, the Scott Cardinals. Of course, I still remember Cheech. Yep. And the thing with, with obviously your buddy, uh, but the thing is with massive, like, or, or, or Scott Cardinal, like he's a big boy. Like you would think like, Oh man, this guy, he's going to make it, you know, he's six, three or whatever he is. And he's going to make it. No, Cheech is the one really that yep. kind of lasted the test of time. And Bobby fish is the one that lasted the test of time. Well, Bobby fish for sure. Uh, Bobby fish is uh, one of the best, uh, an underrated storyteller. I always tell people like, that's what people like people always, because for so long he was just this, this badass wrestler, but it was like, man, if somebody ever lets him show some of that personality, the world is in trouble because that man is full of it. And he did once save an ROH show. The ring broke during the pre-show, and he somehow got that ring put back together. He kind of saved the day. I remember that vividly. And uh, I think Gabe was like, thank you, uh, Jerk Jackson, for uh, saving saving the show. But I don't know what he did, but he kind of fixed the ring. I was, so I always kind of remember that. I was like, the guy that fixed the ring is one of these guys in NXT that's kind of killing it. So it was like really cool. Tony DeVito, because he's like uh... – OG ECW ring crew stuff. He knows how to put together a ring. He knows what's going on. So he had those guys ready. 
Yeah, that's right. And, you know, Lope, too, you know, big ECW referee. And uh, so, I mean, he, he knew. So it was great training he gets uh, all the way through. Had a, yeah, man, uh, up, upstate, New York sta- upstate New York staples for sure, both of them. Yep. I don't know how you live in Rochester in the winter, but uh, very, uh, you know, very bold of you. Yep, my whole life, and I, I still continue to for some reason. Absolutely crazy. Now, as far as just uh, some social media plugs and, like, everything else, I know we talked about DreamWork. It's a great podcast, but where can everybody get you social media-wise? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Extremely Cute. I got on that Twitter thing pretty early, so I nabbed that one down, and I won't <laughs> give it up for anything. Uh, but then as far as the rest of the social media, I had to go with at Extremely Colin. So if you find me on Instagram, at Extremely Colin. Extremely Cute on Twitter, Extremely Colin on Instagram. Facebook is uh, – a crapshoot. I have a bajillion uh, uh, friend invites, and they only let you so many. So uh, that one's you're better off with the Twitter and the Instagram. All right, awesome stuff, Colin. This has been an absolute blast. Love it. Not only talking about uh, you know your wrestling career, but uh, wrestling fandom as well. Really cool. So awesome stuff. Appreciate all the time you gave me today, dude. Thanks so much. Anytime, man. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.